You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Turn to Jeremiah. Crazy Jerry. That's what they used to call him. Of course, they found out he was right. Jeremiah 31, go to verse 29. In those days, they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Let's, let's look at Deuteronomy again. Go back. Go to Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7, find verse 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant of mercy for a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments. And He repays those who hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with Him who hates Him, but will repay Him to His face. Therefore you shall keep the commandment and statutes and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you're going to do today. We've come, we've assembled. Lord, those on the web stream, those gathered here together. Lord, this is a weighty message and I need help. Reach your hands towards me. Come on, I need God's help tonight. I always need his help, but I seem to need more of it today. (laughs) Bring an anointing. Take me out of the picture. Take a coal from your altar. Place it upon my lips, I humbly ask. And burn faith in those that hear today. God, let every word be released from the throne. And we be changed and transformed. Now put hands on your own heart. Lord, speak to us. Release revelation, truth. Release your power. Your anointing. If you have the freedom to pray in the Holy Ghost, do it fervently right now. Come on, lift your voice. The Apostle Paul said, I'll pray with my mind and my understanding and I will pray with my spirit. Come on, you're praying with your spirit right now. If you have that freedom, go ahead. Come on, stir yourself up a little bit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Heredity is a fascinating thing. It's a fascinating aspect of our life. Now, do you have notes? Alright. Now, I mean, it was one thing after another putting this together. The more obstacles I had, the more encouragement I got. Sometimes we think, well, if it's easy, it must be God. Absolutely incorrect. Sometimes that it is that way, and bless the Lord when it is. But there's other times where you just need to take the battle axe of the Lord and start swinging, and don't stop until you get through the other side. Well, that's the way this was today. I was the whole morning I was on the phone trying to help to negotiate uh, helping a, an Ethiopian orphanage. For the whole morning we did that. And divine appointments and favor and God released wisdom. And it was wonderful. The next part of the day was trying to make phone calls to Ethiopia. Trying to unite a family. And and the rest of it, I labored in the Lord putting this together. Heredity is a fascinating aspect. And it comes with great positives and negatives. In my family, I, I remember visiting my father in his office. I think the year was 1994, 93. I sat across from his desk. And as we were talking, he, he put his hand up and he, and he grabbed hold of his 
of his face like that, and he was thinking, and I thought, oh my gosh, I always do that. But I never knew that before. I, I got that from my dad. When I'm thinking, I'll, I'll just go ahead and pinch my lower jaw. Come on, some of you do some weird things. I've seen it. Amen. <laughs> Dr. Morocco shares about how when he prays, he would pray like his father. He, his father would kneel on uh, before the pew and then cross his legs. He would cross the back of his ankles. Funny thing was, after I heard a message very similar, in fact, many parts of this are taken from the discipleship that I've gotten from Dr. Morocco. After I heard the message, I thought, I want to be like him. And every time I would kneel, I would cross. I still cross my ankles like Dr. Morocco does. Come on, I wanted, I wanted all the positive impartation. I figured whatever, if that's what brings an anointed man, baby, I'm going to cross my ankles and pray too. Amen. And I know there's nothing like maybe all that spiritual about that, but I inherited it from him. That's a part of discipleship. But you can inherit things from your family that are wonderful. I mean, I don't think pinching your face is all that big a deal. It might look strange to some. But there are some things that are negative that you inherit. And just as there is an inheriting of your nose or the way that you look, your DNA, if you will, there's a spiritual inheritance that you can get from your family too. And some of that can be fantastic. I have a, a, a family tree on my mother's side, just pastors for, I, don't, I think I'm the 12th generation of, of preachers. But then there's some other folks in there. <laughs> yeah, they did some, some other things. And I think I got some of that. There's blessings and curses. Just like there's genetic... Heredity, there is also spiritual heredity. Here's an example. Have you heard of this? It's been out for many years now. It's a comparison between two families, Max Jukes and Jonathan Edwards. You ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? You've never heard of Max Jukes, most likely, unless you've read this story. Let me read this to you. Max Jukes. In his family, tree was traced. There was 310 people that died as paupers. 150 became criminals, seven of them murderers. A hundred of them were known to be drunkards, and half of the women were prostitutes. All the descendants cost the government a quarter of a million in 19th century dollars. That's a lot of money. And that's what it cost the government to just maintain his family. He was an immoral man, a godless man, didn't believe in God, didn't serve God. The Duke's family, that particular family line no longer exists doesn't exist anymore. Jonathan Edwards, on the other hand, was a committed Christian, godly man, married a godly young lady, had 295 graduates from college, 13 of whom became college presidents. 65 became professors. Three were elected as U.S. senators. Three as state governors. The others, others were sent as ministers and missionaries to foreign countries. 30 were judges. 100 were lawyers. One was a dean of an outstanding law school. 56 practiced as physicians. One was a dean of a medical school. 75 became officers in the army and navy. 100 were well-known preachers, missionaries, and prominent authors. The other 80 held some form of public office, of whom three were mayors of large cities. One was a controller of the U.S. Treasury. Another, a vice president of the United States. Not one of the descendants of the Edwards family was a liability to the government. Just an example of heredity, spiritual as well as natural heredity, a case for generational sin and spiritual inheritance. We're going to go into the Word now. Turn to Genesis chapter 9. Now you will see generational sin and iniquity passed down from generation to generation. You see curses and you see blessings. The first one I want to look at is Genesis 9. In verse 25, it's a curse that's pronounced on, on Ham. And when you look at his lineage, well, let me just, let me, while you're turning there, here's what happens. The flood takes place. God rescues Noah and his sons and all the animals in an ark. It basically dries up. They get out of the ark and... Now, what some say is, what is a righteous man doing getting drunk? 
I've heard it explained this way, that the firmament had changed and grapes fermented quickly. And as a result, instead of having grape juice after he planted a vineyard, he didn't plant a vineyard to get hammered. Planted the vineyard, made new wine, which is not fermented, and because of the way the environment had changed, as the canopy had now been removed, that the grapes fermented quickly and he got drunk. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I've read that. makes sense. At any rate, he's drunk. And Ham comes in and sees his nakedness. Now, here's what you need to understand about that. You need to read a little bit between the lines to understand what it means to see his nakedness. It's not like, I don't know, have you ever walked in on somebody when they're in the bathroom? It's a very embarrassing thing. I was in an airport not that long ago, and man, I had to go. And it was packed. And there's one bathroom stall that was not being used, simply because the, the hinge was busted. Well, I took a look at the hinge. I took, you know, the, 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 the hasp, you know, the, the thing that closes, it keeps the door shut. So the door would just swing open. So I took a look at that, man, I'm, I'm going to use this mega line. And I don't have time for that, and i got to catch a flight. So I look at it, and I thought... Look at the hinge. I look at the thing. I kind of tweak the door a little bit, mess with it. I get it so it just catches, you know. It's perfect. I thought, good enough. Hallelujah. I go in and I'm using it. And a couple people did the old, is there anybody in there, dance. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. And I hate that. I hate public bathrooms. Praise the Lord. I've got all kinds of strategies for keeping my hand clean, man. I flush with my toilet, my, my foot. I lift the seat with my foot. Come on, I wash my hands. I grab doors up high instead of grabbing the handle. I do all kinds of crazy stuff. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? All right. Now, let me just teach you, fellas or ladies, you wash your hands. You pull, if you pull a paper towel, if they have that, pull an extra one. So you dry your hands, you throw it out. You take the extra one and you put it on the doorknob to open the door, hold it with your foot, throw it out, and then walk out. And you've been out undefiled out of the bathroom. Anyway, that's free. That's bonus. So a couple of people did the, you know, is there anybody in there dance? But this one guy looks and just puts his hand on the door, which is all is required to have the door swing open. The door swing open, he's like, oh, and he pulls the door back. But here's the thing. He can't, he can't lock, lock it again. He can't get it to stay. And it was a handicap stall, so I'm on the other side of the room, if you know what I mean. And, and well, I'm on the other side of the room. And so he's like, oh, dude. And I'm like, it's okay. He goes, oh, man. This is awkward. And he sits there and he, he sits there and he holds the door, man. Anyway, I thanked him. Hallelujah. Made sure I didn't have any on contact. Thanks, man. Well, this is not what happened here with Ham. Ham walks into the tent. There's Noah in his nakedness. And it says he looked upon his nakedness. The picture is that he did something to his father. Not that he just looked. He looked and did something. There's a connotation that there's some homosexuality or something happened in that encounter. He comes back. He tells his two brothers. His two brothers walk backwards with a, with a cloak and they, and they cover him backwards, if you can imagine that. I need a volunteer. We're not going to make anybody do the Noah part. All right. They do it like this. This is the picture. They walk backwards. They don't even look at their father. And then they throw it over. And they cover it. But that's not what Ham did. Ham did something wrong. And when his father understood what he did, he cursed him. Now, if you look at the main sin of the descendants of Ham, it was a sexual immorality. In Canaan's land are the descendants of Ham. So if you look at the descendants of Ham, generations later, that act that took place in that tent when the firmament had been removed and Noah was drunk, that curse is released upon the generations of Ham, which is the Canaanites. The Canaanites' main sin was basically sexual immorality, homosexuality, for which came to fill fullness, and they got booted out. Fascinating. Genesis 9.25 is the curse that's pronounced 
upon Ham. Abraham, look at B. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob passed down deception to the next generation. Of course they passed down the blessings too. But part of the spiritual inheritance that was received is also an inheritance of deception. And you'll see that Abraham lied to Pharaoh. So he was scared. He was terrified. Said he was, this was his sister, Sarah. She was so pretty that he was Sarai, actually, at that time, thought that he would just, they would kill him. And he lied. You know, the same thing happens in his descendants. Rebecca and Laban were siblings, and they were deceivers as well. Now, there's positive aspects to their life. Of course, Abraham believed God. It was accredited to him as righteousness. But there was aspects of his personality, the way that he believed or fear that controlled him, and it caused actually generational sin to be passed down. Think about David. David sinned with Bathsheba. You know that story? David looked. He was supposed to be out at war at the time when kings go out to war. In the spring, he stayed home. He looked out over the veranda, over the porch, and he saw Bathsheba. He looked at her, and he desired her. The same thing Eve did. Looked, thought about it. Oh, that's good. That's what he did. He looked, had the thought, took some action, and soon he, he, he fornicated or rather committed adultery, and then to cover up his sin, committed murder. And when Nathan comes and tells this story about a man who has all these sheep, and says, but then there's was one man and took... He took this man, and all these sheep takes this other man's one, one little lamb. David says, you ought to kill him. He says, you're the man. Thou art the man. It's one of the most intense things in Scripture. I love it. Well, that prophet boy, his head was on the line. But David had a heart after God, and he repented. The baby of that union died, but then Bathsheba was to bring forth Solomon. But part of the judgment that came, from the Lord through the prophet Nathan was the very thing that David did would, would happen in his family. And when you look at the life of David's family, the very thing he did, the very curse that's passed down now onto his, his sons and daughters. Amazing. Terrifying. So how generational sin affects us? Are you all with me? Roman numeral three. Now the notes are a little, I had a fight with my printer, I had a fight with my computer, but we're here. Amen. No, it's got some errors in the Roman numerals there, but I tried to fix them, so hopefully you can follow along. How generational sin affects us. Inherited tendencies or propensities like alcoholism and adultery, you see, can be passed down. So suppose you're a part of a family where there's grandparents, great-grandparents are alcoholics. You probably have a tendency for alcoholism. Now, the same is true given, given this case that I'm setting up here in Scripture The same is true for lust. The same is true for greed. The same can be true for anger. The same can be true for every sin you see in Scripture, correct? Are you following me? Now you say, well, I don't like that. I don't like that either. But let's just be mature and realize that Jesus became a curse for us so that we don't have to be accursed. And if you see things in your generations that might be operating in you, cut the thing off. And we're going to talk about that tonight. There is an inheritance that can come that's not a good one. You want all the good stuff. You want to get rid of the bad stuff. There's training by example, good and evil attitudes and behavior. I've noticed in families that I've counseled over the years that a husband, let's say, would beat up on the spouse, and in the next generation, the son says, I'm never going to do that. And you know what happens? It's exactly what the son does. It's amazing to me. My, my, My own life is like that. I saw some of the ways that my parents were, and I said, I will never do that. That's exactly what I did. I've thought about that. As a man thinks in his heart, so he so he is. Fascinating. You are not what you eat. You are what you believe, though. Your food will affect you. Let's talk about that. Do you know there can be generational sin on food? There are people that have said, food, look, food is a drug. Mmm, yeah, don't go there, Pastor Daniel. I like eating my chocolate late at night. I want to eat lots of food to comfort my soul instead of go to Jesus and get healed. I want to eat. I want to eat. Give me food. Because when you eat lots of food, listen, I struggled with addiction in my life. Some of you know my testimony. I'm going to tell you how it started. It started with Reese's peanut butter cups. 
Oh, no lie. Some of you are still addicted. We can break that off of you tonight. Oh, yeah. How did it work for me? I'll tell you how it worked for me. I was a young, I was a young boy. I was, you know, 10 years old. I was hurting. My parents had been divorced. I didn't know, I just couldn't, I couldn't get any peace anywhere. I was tormented. Tormented at night. Seeing dark shadows all the time. I just thought that was life. I just thought that's the way it was. I didn't know any different. We didn't have Christ in my home. Not really. We had a form of godliness. You know, Christers. We went Christmas and Easter. And I needed some power. And I was so hurting. I didn't know how to like get the release. I started realizing I really like chocolate and sugar. I still do. I have it on control most of the time. And so I began to take my backpack and go to the AMPM or whatever it was, some supermarket, I forget what it was called. And I would steal a whole case of Reese's. Shuff it, I mean a case. I'm not talking three or four. Come on, I did it big. I'm doing it big for God now. I did it big for the devil then. Come on, somebody. I did a whole case. I'm not talking, oh, I'll just take a handful or maybe a few handfuls. I'm talking slide the case into the backpack, zip the backpack, and pull off a big ripoff. And I would go with my friend with the case of Reese's, and he would get whatever he wanted, his favorite candy, because he had issues too. We would go off in the woods, and I would eat them until I could not eat another bite without getting sick. And I would be sick, and I'd lie there all distended and just dosed from sugar. Just be like, do you know what that became later? I have to be careful even now. Because I really just enjoy chocolate. I love chocolate, but it can be too much. I have to, I, I, really, I'm serious. My flesh likes chocolate, dude. I'm telling you right now. All right, I'm the only one that has, all right, thank you. My, there's a couple honest people. Bless you, bless you back there. Praise God, bless you, bless you. Liars go to hell. Okay, let's move on. We train by example. I mean, you can teach people, you can teach your kids, you can teach them, and you should teach them, and you should instruct them, but I will tell you now that they, your example of the way that you live, the example that you experienced in your home, that was the truest impartation that you got. Somebody say hallelujah for the grace of God. Thank you for His mercy. Come on, thank God for His mercy. And my 12-year-old was upstairs leading worship tonight for the youth for the first time. And I just saw that and I thought, well, hallelujah, I know we've got issues here and there, but thank you, Jesus, for His mercy. Amen. Pastor Karen and Daniel said hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There's the law of reaping and sowing. Let me just go back to this example thing. I'll never do what my dad did, and that's the very thing they do. Listen, what you think on, that's what's going to happen. As much as you want to try to fight it, you're thinking about it all the time, that's what you're going to get. The law of reaping and sowing, very clear law about reaping and sowing. What you sow, you will reap. You sow hatred, you'll get hatred. Do not be deceived, God will not be mocked, a man will reap what he sows. There's the, the, now, this is interesting, and the, this is not my own. I've, I've got this from Dr. Morocco, but it's the possession syndrome. Everybody say the possession syndrome. Well, what is that all about? There can be bondage of living to the living. Bondage of living to the living. There's attachments that people have to other people. For, for instance, in... in in the years gone by, we've counseled people that have gone through horrible things in their marriage. Where a husband has committed adultery, and the wife isn't aware of it yet, and she begins to go through all of this torment, and she doesn't know why. And then it comes out that the fool committed adultery. And vice versa, women commit adultery. I will tell you that women are committing adultery more now than they ever have before in the history, in recent history, as I've read and studied. Shocking. Not here, though. Somebody say amen. Healthy marriages, healthy families in Jesus' name. 
But you'll notice in spouses, when one person gets involved in evil, even the other person doesn't know about it, but it begins to affect them. So there can be bondage of living people to living people. The blessing operates the same way. You'll find situations where there's ungodly relationships. I, we had one person that loved their husband, was so just so wanted to make it work, but he continued to commit adultery. Let me just say this, okay? You might not like it, but it's true. If you know of somebody who's committing a bank robbery, and they commit the bank robbery, you know about it, you're called what? You're called an accomplice. Yep, an accessory, right? And you, you, have, you, you will get in trouble. You can get arrested. You're in trouble, man. Even though you didn't know it, you, I mean, you didn't go there. You weren't party to the crime in that you were there with a gun in your hand going to the bank. But you knew. Now, when you're in relationship and in covenant with people, and let's say a marriage and the husband's committing adultery and the wife tolerates it, you are a party to the crime, and, and you have to deal with that. Now, if there's repentance, there can be healing. Some of you probably have that testimony. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm saying if there's no repentance and it continues and you endorse it, then you're endorsing evil and the sin is your sin and you will be held accountable for that. Come on, somebody say, whoa. Wow, I don't like that. Yeah, that's heavy. That's, that's the, the possession syndrome, bondage of living to the living. There's a bondage of living to the dead. The bondage of living to the dead. What do you mean by that? Maybe you went through horrible abuse and your, spa, your, your parents, they've passed. But you stink and hate them. You think about what they did, your blood boils and you're just like, man. There's this, there's this anger that's within you, boiling within you over what your parents have done, even though the one that did it's not living. You're in bondage, sir. Ma'am. My brothers and sisters, if you have that kind of thing to somebody who's passed away, you are tied to them even though they're in the grave. For unforgiveness will tie you and shackle you to the person that you don't forgive. You have got to forgive them. You have got to let it go. You have got to break that curse in your life. And if you don't, It'll destroy your life. There's the bondage of the living to the occult control. For an example, parents or grandparents involved in the occult. Maybe they were involved in Freemasonry. That kind of a thing. Witchcraft. It gives basically demons, covenant rights to you. And those sins are passed down to the third and the fourth generation. So here we are, and if our grandparents did that, basically scripturally, that thing can affect you. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. It's biblical. And there are some that are under control of those kind of demonic entities because of what their forefathers did, and they don't even know it. You might be here suffering under the bondage of a demonic assignment because of what your father did, because of what your mother did, because of what the generations had done prior to you. You didn't even do anything. I've seen it happen where we've ministered to individuals and all of a sudden they just manifest. It's a demonic manifestation they get free. We pray for them. That thing's got to go. And it's really like, man, where did that come from? And they're, they're just like, I don't know what, what that's all about, Pastor. You know. And then come to find out that literally their parents were involved in the cult practices, that, that there was generational iniquity prior to them. Though they were not involved in occult practices, that bondage was brought over, bridged over from. There's good news at the end of this. Somebody say Hallelujah was bridged over. You look at E, there's many sins that are manifested. Sins are manifested in the next generation. There's a, how is that manifested? It's, there's a bent towards the occult. What does that look like? That looks like a constant, maybe not even constant, just a, maybe even a periodic fascination with the occult. A desire just like to go into a bookstore. Or just feel drawn to go look at stuff that we're supposed to be innocent of and that we're supposed to stay away from. But 
And I've, I've, had, I've known of preachers, pastors, leaders that have said, well, you know, we really just need to know the strategies of the enemy. And so we need to know about these things. I've got news for you. The Bible says be excellent at what is good and innocent of evil. You don't need to know about that. You just need to know the name of Jesus has authority over all of it. I've heard it preached. I'm just telling you, you might have a different view. And, and um, maybe your view is right and mine's wrong. But this has worked for me for 16 years walking in victory in my marriage. God continually bringing us to the next level and pouring out his spirit and his blessing. It's worked for everybody we've discipled. So, you know, we just, you don't need to know about all that stuff. You don't need to know how to call. You don't need to know about Ouija boards. Just understand it's not the spirit of God. You don't need to hear stories about the Ouija board. You don't need to hear stuff about that and get defiled. You don't need that. You know, well, don't, what, what, about, what about you have to know the name of a demon before you cast it out? Look, Jesus did say, what is your name? Talking to Legion. And, 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 and the understanding is that if you know the name of a demon spirit, then that gives you greater authority over it. i got news for you. you got authority over that thing in Jesus' name. And, and listen, under, under, understand this. Demons lie. So they could tell you the name and they could lie to you when they do it. So it doesn't matter whatever the thing says. Just don't even have a conversation with the stupid. Thing. It's underneath your feet. You take authority over it, isn't it? So these sins can be manifested in the next generation through a bent, through a drawing, through being a drawn away, through specific addictions. You can see it happen through mental, look at three mental and emotional problems, like certain fears, anxieties, depression. You struggle with fear and you can't understand why and you're so afraid. It could be that it's been passed down from, from your future, from your previous generations. I mean, you think about the thing that you struggle with, some of the issues, the areas that you're struggling with. Think back about your mother. Think back about your father. Honor your father and mother that you'd have a long life and it would go well with you. Yes, absolutely. We honor them. We forgive them. Amen. They did the best they could. They couldn't give what they didn't have. Somebody say amen. You can't give what you don't have. But when you think back about the things that they were struggled with, You'll find that very frequently those are the very same things, the besetting sins that you struggle with in your life. As I've gotten older, I see more and more my father in me. I don't mean my heavenly father, although I see that too, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But I mean, I I see some some of the personality of my own father. I'm thinking, my God, you know, some of that's not so good. Mental, emotional problems. Oh, this is interesting. There's a study. Let me read this to you. I've only been preaching for 33 minutes, so hang in there. I know it seems longer when your baking is getting fried. But, you know, this is an important message. (laughs) European psychologist named El Zondi. You can write that down if you want to. Z-O-N-D-E-E. who showed a high correlation between the involvement in spiritism and occultism and related that there was many times schizophrenia would manifest in the generations to follow where there was spiritism and occultism. I mean, he did studies. You know, the other thing that's interesting, if you, if, you, if you look at somebody who, and you study, this is not always the case, okay, there are, there are instances, I mean, we're, there's other things at play, but if you, look, if, you, if you see somebody that is promiscuous, with many, many, many partners, frequently they're shattered, they're fractured individuals. You know why that is? Here's my theory, here's what I believe. Sexual sin is the only sin that takes place on the inside of your body. And literally, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act of, of it's, a, it's not just, it's way worse than stealing something. The Bible says the only thing that takes place on the inside of your body, meaning it's something that happens in the spirit. So when you, when you're, when you're, when you fornicate, when you're, when you cross that line, and I, I don't know that fornicating is the only way to cross it. You say, well, 
Yeah, we, we weren't really the best, but we, you know, we didn't go all the way. I'm not sure what all the way actually is. Okay? No, beyond what you're, you know what I'm talking about? Come on, the, the children's church is upstairs, people. If we can't, if you can't talk about sex in church and health, how the healthy dynamics of, of the way it is, then you could be in big trouble. Alright? You need to go to a special seminar for that, and that's great, but you have a special seminar tonight. It's called Healing Your Family Tree. Alright. We found that people that are promiscuous are often fractured, and I, I believe it's because when the act of, of oneness, I'll just say it that way, takes place, it's literally that person gets a piece of you and you get a piece of them. And that's, it's so special, so significant, so, uh, such a picture of Christ and the church, that it should only happen with one person the rest of your life. It should never be with multiple people. It's such a significant act of worship, honestly. That oneness, and when it takes place outside of covenant, of that which is forever, a forever commitment to, to a person, a woman to a man, a man to a woman. Sorry, we have to define it. It should only take place in that, in that context, and when it happens outside of that, that person gets a piece of you. Now, when you're with multiple people, and there's no healing, and that lifestyle continues, you end up... You know what schizophrenia is, right? It's like multiple personalities, duh. Right? right? You've been with so many people that, that literally... Uh, this is just my theory, okay? And I've seen it, practically. I've seen it. I've seen people that have been schiz... I've seen people schizophrenic, chemical imbalances and things, as a curse, not as a result of fornication and stuff, but I've also seen this fornication thing. Hello? Oh, what a wonderful message this evening. All right, let's, let's, let's look at this next thing. Sexual problems. We've had, in times past, tried to help people. Of course, we're trying to help people all the time, but I mean specifically with regards to sexual challenges with with children, what I mean by like 13, 14-year-olds who are drawn in the wrong way. And you wonder where that comes from. How did that happen? Frequently there's a defilement, but it can come also. Everybody say also. In other words, defilement. In other words, an uncle was involved or something happened. Okay? Is it okay if I just thought to sort of shoot high? I'm not going to get specific. You all can fill in the blanks. Amen? But often, oftentimes... That lust or that thing that, that is on a young man or a young girl is frequently passed down from the parents. They're, they're on porn sites and the Internet, and they wonder what's gone wrong with their kids. How dumb can you be and breathe? No, give me a break. I mean, people think they can just do sin, and it's just them. It's their own life. I can smoke dope, they say, and it's not going to really affect me. It's not going to, you know, it's just my, you know, it's just my life. It's my lungs. What's the big deal? No, if you dip yourself in a sewer and then go put yourself in the public marketplace somewhere, you stink. And when you dip yourself in the sewer of sin, whether it be lust or greed or rage or anger, and you allow that thing to happen, it permeates your whole home, it defiles your kids, and you end up cursing your children for the love of God. Stop. Listen, I'm not preaching at you, man. I'm preaching to you. We live holy in our house. We live right. But I've found these things that I battle against at times coming from previous generations, especially in years gone by. You know, praise God for victory today. You need to cut them off. And it just doesn't happen by, Jesus loves me, this I know. Cute song. Not going to get your generation delivered. Not going to get your family tree healed. Not going to get your kids set on fire. Not going to break the bondage that you suffer with day in, day out. That we don't talk about where we wear a mask, you're doing drugs, you're overeating, or you're doing things and you're saying, then where's the victory? The victory's in Christ. But you must deal with it. you got to get to the root. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. you got to cut the this stuff out. You gotta deal with it. You gotta come confront it head on in the name of Jesus and drive it out of your life with the Word of God and by the power of the resurrected Lord. Come on, somebody say amen. 
Do you have to get on fire about it? Yeah, it is a spiritual violence, ladies and gentlemen. You want to pass on cursing to your kids, go right ahead. But as for me and my house, I will not do it. And I believe we haven't. And I pray for God's grace and mercy. I'm watching my son. It just freaks me out. I'm watching my son. He's got the same unique way of learning that I did. I was made fun of. We know better. Tremendous spiritual gifts. My daughter too. I'm watching my son. You see my son on the piano today, nine years old. Just bang, 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 bang. Just playing with his head tilted, singing to Jesus. And I'm going, oh my gosh, that was me. There's only one problem. We didn't have Jesus. We didn't have a piano and it wasn't cultivated. I've read my reports. My father sent them to me. From elementary school and kindergarten. And all throughout these little teacher reports. I mean, on like that mimeograph stuff. It wasn't even photocopies. They didn't have that. You know, they, they had to, you know, whatever it was. It was one of these triplicate, you know, really old style type and all that. This funky, yeah, dittos. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Just old paper, you know. I'm looking at it and, it, and it's giving a report on on Danny. That was me. Five years old. And it says, Daniel sings all day. I'm thinking, no kidding. I still do that. Hallelujah. <laughs> it was a gift of worship that God had placed within me from my grandfather. My grandfather wrote wrote in tremendous amount of hymns and songs, played all the organs of Europe. That was his goal. He did it. My grandfather was a full-time worship leader back in the day. You know, Amazing Grace and all those songs. That that thing is passed on to us. And it's in my family. I'm watching my son at nine years old write his songs at nine. But in the same way, generational sin can be passed on. And don't you get under condemnation tonight. What you do tonight is go, oh, I'm taking the head off of that thing. Shaka ho ho. Come on, somebody say Shaba. All right, good. Praise the Lord. If you've never prayed in tongues, just say Shandai. Okay, they say that's Chinese and it means something great. Okay. All right, let me move on. Unbelief to the truth. If you look at five, there's, there's sometimes, and I, we had a neighbor, that there's just no way. They, they just had the hardest time believing anything of faith. And it was, I mean, they were rock solid. I mean, we couldn't win them over. They'd see all the testimonies, they'd hear the, they'd hear the word, and there was just iced over unbelief. That can come from generational sin. Okay, sickness. Last one. Sickness, certain kinds of diseases. Sickness can be passed down generation to generation, even called a spirit of infirmity. All right, now, how do we be free? I'm glad you asked. How to be free? First of all, A, recognize that Christ's death and resurrection has defeated every work. Defeated what? Every work of the enemy. And your faith is the greatest weapon against the power of evil. Listen, I know it's been a little hard to get through what I've told you so far, but you rise in faith now and understand that God has made a way of escape, that He brings streams in the desert, that nothing's impossible. Though it's come on where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And God is big, strong, and mighty to deliver and make you a brand new creature in Christ. He is able to redeem you, able to wash you, able to renew your mind. No matter what you've been through, ah, we serve the living God who breaks every curse. Can you say amen? Claim Revelations 12.11. Everybody say overcome. Overcome. Micah, would you come please on the piano? Overcome. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Let the blood of the Lamb cover your life. Declare it. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. Come on, say it. I'm more than a Come on, you're feeling weak? Start claiming the Word of God over your life. Take a stand. Beat back hell. Beat back your, 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 your thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God. You're an overcomer. Two, claim that you're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The devil's going to try to convince you that you're not new. What else would he do? He's terrified of you understanding that you're brand new. He's totally freaked out about you walking in the new man. He's completely undone at the thought, oh my gosh, if they really understand the power and the authority they have, 
If they really understand that the old is gone and the new is coming, literally the Messiah, Jesus, by His Spirit, lives on the inside of them. My kingdom will be crushed. So He'll lie to you. He'll lie to you. You'll begin to believe His lies. Come on, somebody say, I'm a new creature in Christ. Come on, say, the old is gone. The new has come. Say, my old man is dead. Say it again. Say, my old man is dead. You see, when Jesus died on that cruel Roman cross, He died for you and me. Galatians chapter 3 says that He became a curse for us. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul again says, I'm crucified with Christ, no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. He said in another place, receive us, we've done no wrong to you. Done no wrong? Dude, you killed Christians. What do you mean you've done no wrong? The Apostle Paul says, receive us, we've done nothing wrong. How can he say he's done nothing wrong when he was there at the first martyr and gave, and gave, you know, gave his consent? Very simple. He's a new creature in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Yes, it is. Mm. I've been made new. I've been made new. I've been made new by the blood of the Lamb. I've been made new. I've been made new. I've been made new by the blood of the Lamb. I've been made new. I've been made new. I've been defeated every work of the enemy. His death and His resurrection defeated every work of the enemy. Every one. There's not one that has not been defeated. I mean, that's some good news. We might be in fights like today, but we win. Having done all else to stand, we continue to stand. 
Right? We're overcomers. We're new creations. Look at, look at B. Pray to be free. Key is prayer. Intimacy with God. Pray to be free. You need to talk to God. Come on, some of you can do self-deliverance. There's all kinds of stuff. Lay hands on yourself. Break that thing off. You can bind your flesh. I bind you right now. I, I don't know about you, but I talk to myself on a regular basis. Healthy Christians talk to themselves. Be like, oh God, what am I going to do? Why so downcast all my soul? Put your hope in God. What am I going to do? Shut up. Put your hope in God. What am I going to do? Put your hope in God. I'm going to put my hope in God. Put your hope in God. Live it. Lift your hands. Offer a sacrifice. Ah, God, I love you, Lord. Oh, and you just begin to worship Him. Come on. That's not strange. That's normal. I know it doesn't look normal. I don't know how it works for you. I don't really actually move back and forth like that. I do talk to myself. The psalmist did it. <laughs> Somebody's getting some help tonight. Whoa! Thank you, Jesus. Man, I feel on fire. I'm going to run a lap or something. God help me. I got clogged. I got girls' shoes on, so I just might wipe out. All right. Otherwise, I, I might do it. I'm going to finish. Whoa! Come on, somebody just thank Him right out loud. Go ahead. Thank you, Jesus. Come on with all your heart. Thank Him. All right. All right. All right. All of you note takers. Number one, confess your sin and repent. you got to confess stuff. If you're struggling with things, if you have an overeating Reese's peanut butter duck cup addiction, confess it. Break it off your life. Confess. Repent. Ask God to forgive you. Forgive family members. Come on, this is big. Some of you are going to do this tonight. Forgive family members or others whose sin has affected you. And I was mad. I'm talking really angry at family. But it wasn't until I just let it go that something broke and healed in me. Some of you need to do that. Family member who did things to hurt you, whether they're dead or alive, you still need to do it. It's a connection that can come through your own hatred and anger that will bind you to that person and make you messed up the rest of your life. You need to break it. Amen. By an act of your will. You don't necessarily feel like it. Hello? You won't feel like forgiving the person that made you go through date rape, okay? That's not something you feel like forgiving. I just watched The Hiding Place. It's part of our, our, our study of Israel. And what was the other one we watched? The Diary of Anne Frank. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Corey Tenbo walked in the peace of Christ because she forgave those who just killed her whole family, basically. It's a power, powerfully used by God. Love what she said. I quote it regularly. There's no, deep, there's no pit that you've fallen in that he is not deeper still. Mm, yeah. Got to forgive family members. Look at three. Renounce and command demon powers to loose its hold. Oh. Come on, renounce stuff. I am not going to have anything to do with the the, the deeds of darkness. I renounce it, I cut it off, and I command whatever that thing is, that spirit of addiction that's been on my generation, that's been on my life, I command you to loose your hold now. I command you to go. You can whisper. You can try that. Whispering works, but I mean, it's just got to come from your heart with authority. Devil, you must leave now. That works. In Jesus' name, amen. So you renounce, you command demon powers to loose their hold. Look at C. I'm trying to close. Jesus, help me. Be prayed for. Don't expect to do it yourself. Listen, discipleship is not made in a crowd. You need people. We need each other. We need. I talked about this recently, but... In Ephesians, when it said, put on the full armor of God, it's talking about Roman warfare. The, the strength of the Romans in their warfare, the soldiers and legions, it's not in the strength of one dude who could really throw a mean spear. And dude, he could handle that sword, and he was quick, and he had the quickness. No, it's not one guy. It's that they trained together, they stood together, even from the time they were young. 
They knew what the guy on the right fought like. They knew what the guy on the left fought like. It was covenant community. That is what God is building here. I'm finding that men and women, as they walk together in covenant, you learn to love each other and love because there's a multitude. And, and you begin to pray. And when one person takes a shot, another person can step over and block. And that person can get healed and trained. Now here's how you block that shot next time. Like this. You teach them how to wage a good warfare over the prophetic word spoken to them. And we teach people how to live for Jesus. How to have healthy marriages. How to handle your money. Hello? How to get out of poverty. How to walk in favor. How to raise your kids. How to run a business. How to do life. Been made new, I've been made new, I've been made new by the blood of the Lamb. you want prayer tonight, just come to the front. The message spoke to you, you realize, hmm, I might have some generational things that need to go. Am I going to answer my own altar call myself? Yeah, yeah.
generational spirit of fear tonight. I command it to loose its hold, to break its hold from God's people. I come against even a spirit of lust and perversion. I break its hold tonight off of God's people in Jesus' name. I break the hold of poverty. Poverty, I command you to go. Loose your hold. Poverty, you have no rights here. We command you to go anger and rage and even a murder spirit. I break your hold tonight in the name of Jesus. You will not be passed down to the next generations. Lord, we'll make plans. God, even tonight, put in boundaries, accountability, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we break the hold of generational curses tonight. In the name of the Lord, you became a curse for us. Break every curse. In the name of Jesus, unbelief. An inability to believe. We break, Lord, the assignment even of Freemasonry tonight. In the name of Jesus, there's a number of people here who are under the effects of Freemasonry. Whether you realize it or not, but in the name of Jesus, we break that thing in Jesus' name. We apply the blood of the Lamb. Loose your people now, God. Loose them now. Loose our children. Loose our families, marriages, divorce. There will be no divorce, Lord. No irreconcilable differences, nonsense. Lord, I pray blessing on marriages, healthy marriages. There are those here you've gone through abortion and not rightly repented of it. You need to do that now. Abortion's murder. It'll bring a curse on you. If you and listen, just a blanket, forgive me. Yeah, it's nice, but really... You're convicted in your heart even as I bring it forth. And just you and God, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. Please don't. We want to protect your dignity. But you need, to, you need to repent of that thing. You need to break it. Husbands or fathers or maybe you were a boyfriend at the time. You need to repent too. You were party to it perhaps. Hallelujah. Washed away now. Been made new, been made new, been made new. I'm just going to come with my wife, touch and agree, and pray for you. Just very quickly.
Glory to God. can let go of that person's hand. One more thing, we'll close. Just let go of their hand before you start sweating palms and all that. I hate that. Don't you hate that? Like, all right. If you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus or you need to recommit your life to the Lord, 